we can just be quiet for just a second. Mm -hmm. podcast fans uh jd sumner here with josh bauer uh the reverend uh future reverend doctor um if we get that completed here shortly <laughs> 2035 yes um we are here inside the beautiful first presbyterian church uh, properly socially distanced i'm in the front pew he's literally almost in the pulpit so i think we've covered our six foot distance um and we're just going to talk a little bit about some of the things happening in the world right now, um, namely the whole situation around George Floyd and his passing, subsequent uh, protests, and what we as Christians um, should be doing, if anything, right now um, in this world we find ourselves in. Um, so we really don't have a whole lot planned, but we're just going to go where the Spirit leads us, and um, hopefully it'll be entertaining. Uh, I'm, I have no doubt it'll be entertaining. Hopefully it'll be educational. How about that? And also not career. Well, you know, we're all martyrs in our own way. So, um, so yeah, for those who might not know, um, you've literally been living under a rock um, somewhere. Uh, George Floyd was... Um, now I think it's safe to say that he was murdered um, because the guys have been charged with murder. He's been killed. He was killed. How about that? Listen, he was killed um, during a police um, police incident uh, outside of a convenience store in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, probably, yeah, probably it's been almost a week, a week and a half. Yeah. And um, subsequently, there have been riots. There have been renewed calls for scrutiny on police and police operations. And um, there have been protests around the world about injustice towards African-Americans. Um, and so today we find ourselves just embroiled in this controversy that seems to come back up over and over and over again about the value of black lives. So what, Josh, in your opinion, professional opinion, are we called to do as Christians? What should be the proper Christian response in these times? Yeah. Um, it's a... That's too big of a question. Um, but what I mean is... Christianity is not one thing. I think that's the, um, it, it is the question, it is the way we phrase it, you know, how, how, but you can't, I don't think you can say fairly, how should Christians respond to this or how should Christianity respond to this? Um, there is no one Christianity. Um, Christianity is an extremely diverse um, faith. And, and I would actually say, of the faiths of the world, it may be the most diverse. It has taken root. Um, I forget who the author was, said, you know, almost every other faith in the world still has a geographical center where it kind of calls home. 
Um, Christianity isn't that way. Christianity has, has, is very uh, flexible as far as where it can go. I think that's the beauty of the good news is that it can go in all these different places. Um, and it's taken root in kind of the seat of Christianity shifts throughout history. It starts in Jerusalem. It, it shifts to, to Greece in that area. It shifts to Europe in the, the Middle Ages and um, it, sh- you know, it shifted to the West, um, the United States, um, and uh, and there's a lot of scholarship out there that says it's now we're shifting to the South. Um, you know, there are more Christians, and Christianity is booming in the Southern Hemisphere, um, even as it shrinks in the the Western, um, you know, the Northern Hemisphere and the Western places where it, that had been a really powerful place. Um, and so, you know, I, it's because how a Christian in um, Brazil should respond to George Floyd is, is uh, you know, and, and I think we, we lose a little bit of that. And, and maybe we should gain some of that back. We should be asking people in different countries. Uh, but I mean, the, the real question is, how should a Christian in 2020 in the United States respond to these things? Right. I mean, this is the that's the real question I think we, we want to answer um, in our little slice of the world, um, which feels like the entire world, um, what, what do we do? What do we say? Um, and even that, because we're a diverse country and, and we're diverse, is, I don't, and I've been very honest, I did a live stream after our worship service last Sunday. I talked about this in our Bible study last night, is, all we really truly know, I think, is if something's going to work, it has to be love. It has to be the love of Jesus Christ. Um, it, you know, that the greatest, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, there are two of them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That whatever the response is, that the right response is going to be rooted in that. Um, and I think that's how we start the conversation and like complete and utter humility, complete and utter humility. Um, and then we go from there. And I'm also intentionally doing that because I think that's where our conversation, even you know, two people having a conversation on a podcast, that's where it needs to start. It needs to go in and out of is love. How do you, and how the heck do you love in a situation like this? Um, and what does that mean? Because I'm not defining love as like, uh, how do you feel good about something or how do you feel warm and fuzzy about something? I'm talking like the love of Jesus Christ that is, um, I've said in these live streams, it's rugged. It's the, it requires self-sacrifice. It demands repentance and uh, asking for forgiveness. It requires granting forgiveness. When, uh, when forgiveness is it. So you're taught, I mean, th- that concept of love is, is a giant concept. So like, how do we do that? How, how do we love? Because that's what I see. There's a, this commonality, common thread that's running through so much right now is love is the way. We got to love. That's true. I think that's the right answer. <laughs> but how the heck do we do that is, the, is I think, the real question. Yeah. And I, I think... You see it in sparks here and there. Um, I think the first thing I saw was um, a police officer and a young 
African-American boy embracing the boys crying tears running down his face um, the police chief in South Florida being the first to take a knee with the crowd um, the sheriff in um, Michigan who said let's not turn this into a protest let's turn it into a parade and put his batons down took his right gear off and walked with the people um, I mean, to me, that was very Christ-like. I mean, walk with me. You know, come with me. God's transitive. God's on the move. You've had that sermon series, um, but let's let's walk together in 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 this protest because because we recognize that something is wrong. That not everything is right, and how do we fix it? And we we need to fix it together, and we know we need to fix it together. Yeah. So so I mean things. And it's um, and I wonder when you ask about how to love, it's and sometimes it's easier to say how not to, uh, well, and then start from that. There's that's a whole movement called negative theology. Um, you know, it's easier to say what God isn't than what God is <laughs> a lot of times. So you say, well, at least we can say God is not evil. God is not hateful. God is not. So, I mean, and I wonder, you know, so if, if we have a really hard time saying this is what love is um, in this situation, although you pointed out some pretty darn good examples, I think, that image of the police officer with the young black kid crying, but, you know, to me, that's one of the pictures that you see on, if it exists 50 years from now, Time Magazine, you know, that's the that's a picture that endures and that tells the story, I hope. I mean, I hope, because that's the kind of story you want to tell, because um, it clearly is that. Um, and But uh, we've, what we've seen in this whole movement, obviously, um, stuff that it is not, you know? Um, you know, it is not, and I know the people that I'm talking to say, you know, see, all the violence, see all the looting, um, see the people coming out with uh, carts full of merchandise from Target that they didn't purchase, that they're stealing. These are crimes. Amen. Sure. Yes, those are. Um, and so I think we can put those all in the basket of uh, this is not what love means in this situation. Um, it probably doesn't mean destroying somebody's uh, livelihood. Um, and again, I don't I, I, see, that's where the humility comes in. I have no idea. I never in my life, and that probably speaks volumes, I've never in my life been so angry about anything that I want to go break something. <laughs> so I have no idea what that impulse is. Um, and and I, it, last night in the Bible study, um, and I would strongly encourage everybody to look it up and watch it, um, there's a TED Talk from 2009, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, she, it's called the danger of a single story. Whenever you take one aspect of a person or one aspect of, you know, of a, of a place, of a city, of a group of people, of a movement, if you take one piece of that and leave out all the rest and make that what that thing is or what that person is, you do a huge injustice, um, not only to that person, but to yourself. I mean, you, it's always less than, and we know how that feels when somebody takes one piece of who we are, and it seems like more often than not, it's not the good piece of us. You know, it's not that wonderful thing we did that one time and they blow it up and say, you know, uh, J.D. Sumner is so great. Um, he's per Usually it's that really bad thing uh, that gets blown up and say, you know, J.D. Sumner is an idiot. Um, and, and 
so I think that's probably part of what love is right now is digging around and finding and understanding that there is so much that's going on right here. There's so much that's gone on historically to get to this point. Um, and, and, and there's nobody on the planet who can or should be able to say, this is blank. You know, the problem is, you know, insert whatever problem you know. Um, chances are whatever you're going to say is one piece of a much larger thing. Um, and you might be on the right track with your answer, but it's still a good practice to sift out, you know, why is this happening? What what more is there to the story? I said to the, the group last night because um, it's not... You know, I see, I, yeah, I see the pictures. People coming out of, of Target with the basket. You know, a guy had Kool-Aid in the basket and somebody put, uh, you know, got to have that Kool-Aid. <laughs> was it untrue that the guy had Kool-Aid in the thing and that this was happening at the same time as these protests? Absolutely not. Uh, that's true. Um, you know, that's truth. Yes, that happened. Or I meant to say, was that false? Was that a lie? No, it's not. That happened. It's, it's documented. Um, is that therefore what these protests are? Of course not. Um, you know, and so you have to take the full story and listening is so huge. Not my gift. Um, I'm a talker, but listening um, and not immediately talking back in the age of social media. That's almost impossible. Be slow to anger and quick to listen. So to yeah, slow to speak, slow to speak. And in that yeah, in that Bible verse, anger is yeah, slow to anger. Yeah. Um, slow slow to slow to speak quick to listen slow to anger um is a great thing and and i and i think too because i am i think it's okay to be at a loss sometimes and say i don't know um because silence can be a gift too it's probably better to be silent and more loving to be silent if you have no idea what to do um although i think at this point and where we are, I think in every period in history, there does come a point where silence is taking a stand in one side or another. Um, and we might be there. Well, I've seen, you know, the Internet has been rife with quotes and um, cliches the last two weeks. Um, one of those was, you know, silence is betrayal. Um, one of those is the the language of the unheard is, is, is the riot is the language of the unheard. Um, you know, on, on both sides that that you know, there's a difference between pro, there's protesting and then there's everything else is a crime. Looting is a crime. The you know, destruction of property is a crime. Um, that's not protesting. So I mean, you see it from both sides. Um, you know, obviously people are hurt, though. I mean, they, they wouldn't be heading into the streets and facing people with rubber bullets and, and armored vehicles and uh, water cannons if they weren't moved by something in a very deep and powerful way to go out there. And I think um, as two white men <laughs> talking about this, you know, we have to acknowledge that, you know, we can empathize as much as we, we want to, but we can't, we, we cannot be in the shoes of those people who are suffering right now. Um, but I think, I think one thing I've been called to do as a Christian is to, like, like you said, like listen to the other side and listen to understand, not listen to respond, but listen to understand as best as I can. 
And to the degree with my privilege and with all the, the institutional biases and, and um, challenges that I was grown up with, to, to be able to shed some of that in favor of opening my ears and my mind and my heart to a different perspective um, and understanding that I may not understand it but I at least acknowledge it and then, and know that it's there and through that alone can love and understand people uh, well I think so and I hope so that's um, I think being a learner right now and, and taking the posture of a learner um, who but to be to be a learner you need to admit you, you, you need to learn you need to learn <laughs> there's some lessons that you have to learn um, if you're going to be a, a student even at the same time I think we're trying to take some sort of action and, and say I'm going to respond to this in some kind of way um, I was on a, a call that was not connected to this at all I think it was like a conference call about resilience or something uh, and being missional people being a missional church in times of chaos and it was before all of this started happening but it, it's interesting it's i've thought about it a lot that the guy who was leading that uh, conference call told a story when he was a young youth pastor at a, a large church and they hey, were going to have their youth mission trip right this is a thing that i've been on youth mission trips for about, you know a hundred of them in my lifetime he says, so we did what you do for youth mission trips. We got, uh, you know, we had the vacation Bible school we were going to run. It was a trip. They were in Iowa and they were going to Mexico. Um, and he says, so, you know, we had vacation Bible school we we're going to put on. We had all of our stuff, you know, all our bags, all our clothes for the trip. We had brought a bunch of extra shoes and clothing we were going to give away to the, the, the locals there in Mexico. They had, um, they were going to run soccer camps because the guy was a soccer coach. I mean, just a great mission trip they were they were getting ready to go on they had instruments to lead worship everything well they got down to the the border the u.s mexico border and um and it took a long time to have them uh all their stuff checked because they had a bunch of stuff so they sat at the border for a long time and the guy said um uh, you know some and, and some of the border guards were smoking you know so they anyway they put their stuff back in the bus they get across the border and now they're in mexico um and the youth leaders started to smell smoke. smoke. Um, and they pulled the bus over, opened up the bottom where the luggage was, and everything was on fire. And so they had enough time to get all the kids off the bus, and the entire bus went up in flames. And so they had kids with, and it was the middle of the night, they had, I think he said it was two in the morning when they pulled the bus over. They had those kids from Iowa with no shoes, uh, no luggage, no nothing. Um, and, and the way he told the story, they got they got to somewhere where they were that night sleeping just on the floor, uh, wherever you could find a spot, leaning up against the wall, whatever. He said all the girls on the trip used one to, uh, shared one toothbrush, you know, and we all, because that's all they had left. And so he and the other leaders were talking, were on phone calls back to Iowa about how to get everybody back to Iowa. Um, end the trip and uh, one of the kids on the trip said this is awesome and he said what do you mean this is awesome and she said I've always wanted to know what it would be like to just have Jesus and he said for him first like oh god that means we're gonna have to go to all the way to where we we're going <laughs> We can't turn back now. Uh, the kids, the, the, a little child has led us and we're, we're gonna go into this. 
Um, but he said it's, it's in that moment, I thought, that was the first time he said, and I was forced to do it, where I never realized that I was taking the posture of a savior. We were going to go down to Mexico and we were going to save these people. We were going to give them what they needed and then drive back to Iowa. And what ended up happening is they got down there and uh, that they arrived and the villagers showed up and met them with shoes and toothbrushes and, you know, all that sort of thing. And so they allowed themselves, because they had no choice, to be served. He said, and that changed things. I mean, it was, the, he said, that was, of course, the best mission trip ever because it wasn't about how am I going to save you? How am I going to help you? Which I still think is how we're framing a lot of this. How am I going to save the day? Um, but no, how are we together going to do something different? Um, and, you know, so what they were forced to do is to realize that the people who they were going to serve had a whole lot to teach them. Um, and had a whole lot to give them. And if they could kind of drop the need to, you know, have the answers, they could then receive the, the truth of it. Um, and I know that guy changed his whole life. Um, and I think it could probably change our whole situation here. Um, but it, 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 but I, don't, I don't know that I myself can do it without being forced to do it almost. Well, uh, there's two things you've said recently, or, or well, one thing you've said recently, one thing I've, I've come across actually through my job um, that I think are applicable here. Uh, one thing uh, in your recent sermon series on um, being knit together and, and, our, and sharing our gifts that the, the Spirit has given us uh, in the furtherance of the kingdom, uh, you talked about how until we view each other as equals, we really can't start to have meaningful conversations that are difficult conversations, but necessary conversations. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about that and if that's where we really need to go um, as a country and as Christians now. Um, to, is this an opportunity to change our perspectives on how we look at each other and both in the church and not in the church. Um, and then the other, the other part was, um, uh, my boss shared a thought with me that, uh, from Kenneth Blanchard, who's an author and a uh, business leader that he, he, uh, he has said that, uh, substantive change requires commitment, um, that you can't, uh, you can't make change a hobby that it has to be something that you um, accept no excuses on. Um, are we finally at the point where we're willing to accept no excuses other than accepting full-on equality and equity among all races in the country? In the country? Yeah, good questions. I always love it when people take my own words and then make me answer to them, right? Uh, <laughs> and screw them now, up and, and manipulate them. Now apply what you said yeah. to this concrete situation. Um, yeah, but, but that's yeah, that's awesome. Um, the deeper conversation. What's the? I mean, my short answer is yes. I wouldn't have preached it. Is that even the right way to say it? I wouldn't have preached that if I didn't think that was true. Um, that you can't, and and that sermon that you're referencing there, um, that you can't, as long as the most important thing to you is your own string, that's impossible to be knit together. Um, and Jesus allows that. Jesus allows us that resistance. Um, you know, if we don't want to be part of the blanket, we don't have to be part of the blanket. 
Um, that's part of freedom and free will. So if we're going to believe and insist that um, our, our piece of yarn is, is the priority, it's impossible for us to be knit together into a blanket of Christ's love is, is that image I used in, um, but you're onto something because it doesn't, or, or, uh, that, that quote is, is definitely onto something too, because our default position is to prioritize our own string. I think everybody's is my default position is clearly my own string. And then maybe the strings of my children and my wife and, and that sort of thing. And then my parents and my extended family. Uh, so I have a hierarchy of pieces of yarn in my life. Um, and so if we're going to say, which I think it's, it's past time, it's time to say, yes, of course, created in the image of God, um, all these sorts of things. Um, and not that we're all the same, but that, um, what we've also said, what Paul said in First Corinthians chapter one, you, you plural, do not lack any spiritual gifts, that it's each one of us has one piece of yarn and they're meant to be woven together. One piece of yarn on its own isn't a blanket um, that, that we need everybody. If you wanted to put it and you know, use the, the term of race, every race needs every other race. Um, and it should be blown up into every nationality needs every other nationality. Um, you know, we need our sisters and brothers in Africa, in Europe, in the Middle East, um, you know, in Asia. This is like, yes, of course it should be that. But um, you also see how big it gets when you start like, oh my gosh, how do I, how do I possibly do that? Which ultimately brings it back to here. You know, how do I do that? If that's at least part of the answer, because just like I think, you know, everybody's got a single strand and everybody has multiple parts to their story. Um, there are multiple pieces of the solution. Um, just, I mean, the problem is multifaceted. The solution is going to be multifaceted. Um, but I don't see how seeing each other as equals and treating each other as 100% equal isn't part of that solution. And that is something in itself that takes commitment. Um, and I know for me, what I've done, um, I every day I do the, my morning prayers. I try to get it at lunchtime and then again in the evening. Usually I end up praying one time per day that's you know really intentional. And in that, I've started adding in the Confession of 1983, PCUSA, as one of my devotional readings along with scripture um, and meditating on Psalms every day. And because that is so beautiful and talks about, you know, we, we trust in God who created this world good of all races and peoples to live together, you know, united but we rebel against God, but um, God acts in grace to redeem us. And, um, and, and just getting that story down, this is the way it's supposed to be, it is not that way, but looking back at that is the thing that leads me back to it. You know, this is the way the world is supposed to be. Um, and, and if we're called to, uh, to be part of a new creation, even in the middle of the old creation, then it starts back at creation, right? Uh, not to be too circular in what I'm saying, um, that this is the way God created the world to be. Um, and I think it's beautiful, that statement of faith, that it doesn't say God created like everybody the same, and then we all branched off. God actually created everybody differently. Um, and that's what Paul preaches in 1 Corinthians 12, the body of Christ, you're a hand, I'm an eye, I'm, you're an ear, whatever, because that's how the body gets the sense of smell and the, what, that, it's, um, that it's built in. Um, 
and I, I, my part of the sermon for Trinity Sunday, this is what I talked about, that this is part of who God is, and that's why it's reflected. There's a diversity in creation. There's birds, and there's fish, and there's uh, animals right now that kill birds, and there's, you know, the, <laughs> but it all works together um, in this beautiful thing, and, um, and, and that's the way that we are supposed to be. And so calling ourselves back to that, but you can't do it today. I can't say that prayer today and assume that it will stick. And I'll just then go out in the world and think that way about people. It takes being called back at least every day, um, if not multiple times a day to that, because that doesn't come natural to us. Um, When I'm left to me, if I don't pray, if I'm not reading, if I'm not reflecting, if I'm not listening to others and intentionally trying to make new relationships, the person that I'm thinking about all the time is myself. And that's not gonna solve anything. And I'm not that fun to be with. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, he really isn't that fun. To, no, I'm just kidding. Guys. Um, well, it sounds like if you could boil everything down, it all comes back to what we started talking about, that there are two main commandments that Jesus has left us with. And the first being to love God with all your heart, mind, strength. And, and then the second is to just love one another. Um, Ultimately, it's, it's the simplest thing and probably the most difficult thing at the same time, right? Yeah, it is. Um, but it's also the most beautiful thing and the most rewarding thing that when you do it well, um, and I think of m- my relationship with my wife as a, uh, ironically, the, the research says that the, the quickest way to for people of two different races, um, and we're thinking everything again through black and white in America, but this is true for research across the board of any race at all. Uh, the quickest way to understand any other race and for races to empathize with one another is to marry somebody of the opposite race. Um, because you then put yourself in the deepest, most vulnerable relationship you can with somebody. So the people that are saying relationships change this, um, it's true. That's absolutely true. They, they really can because your perspective deeply changes when you interact with somebody on that level of intimacy day in and day out. Um, I, that's a hard one to implement, right? Um, I'm married, but not to someone of an opposite race. But the, my relationship with my wife, th- that's love. And it's not the warm, fuzzy feeling. Uh, anybody who stays married for more than like 48 hours, you, you, get, you get through that pretty quick. Um, and you return to it, you go back to it, um, and it, there's ebbs and flows that go with the highs and lows of life and, um, and all of that, but that to me is where I've learned both, I've received the grace of Jesus Christ and learned how to give it is in that relationship. And more than anything, I mean, I, I've learned in marriage how to lose in a relationship and understand that that is the way of Christ and that that leads to a deeper relationship. Um, When I don't assert my right and I am willing to say, you know what, tonight, we'll watch that movie you want to watch that I can't imagine myself sitting for two hours and enduring, but let's do that. I mean, those, that's a, you know, kind of a dumb example, but, but losing, like how can we lose right now so that everybody wins? Um, That's the question that I'm asking myself. Now, what, what, what am I totally willing to, is to just lose um, for?
Well, we've been talking with Josh Bauer, the pastor and head of the amazing First Presbyterian Church here in Albany, Georgia. We, Amen we, to that. We, amazing uh, church and amazing city. Yeah, we, um, we, we've been having fun lately with your sermon series on Knit Together and, and then... Um, the the Trinity Sunday thing today uh, was was great. Um, going uh, talking with three different perspectives. Um, it's fun to do. Wife and then um, Anne Herod. Anne Herod Teague Dees, who's the pastor at Trinity in Valdosta. Yeah, she said her name. Um, I mean, you you all should watch the the video or worship uh, with us. It's spelled A N G H A A R A D. Um, Ann Herod. It's uh, and I forget how she said it. She, she said that's what happens when you have, what is it like, a Welsh great grandmother and hippie parents, <laughs> is you end up named Ann Herod. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but yeah, she's awesome, brilliant, just awesome, awesome. It beats colleague. Wild Moon or something like that. You that's know, right, Peekaboo. Uh, the I old a friend uh, growing up named Sunshine. So you know, parents were hippies. But um, thanks for thanks for taking time today, Josh. Um, we uh, we are going to continue with our podcast. Um, thanks for listening today. We're going to um, uh, wrap it up now and, and wish everybody you know, peace as you go out into the world. Um, and I think the the cap for all of this is just to go love one another, right? I mean, just 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 show love. Um, be a little slower to speak, a little a little, um, yeah, and be to willing listen. to receive it. Um, not a you know, let your boss burn up. And then, you know, rely on Jesus. The homework assignment for everybody listening is uh, something that Josh gave from the pulpit. Um, it might have been two Sundays ago now, where he said, um, in at least one phone call that you have, or one interaction you have, take 120 seconds to give compliments, earned compliments, sincere compliments of what you value to people in your life. So if you're talking to your wife, you're talking to a coworker, uh, talking to your child, you know, take 120 seconds, two minutes to, to just tell them all the things you appreciate about them. Um, I think it will change your life. There, there've been studies done, no lie, Harvard studies that show that, um, one of the quickest way to re rewire the brain uh, from an attitude of negativity and uh, uh, just a bad perspective on life is through repeated acts of gratitude. Is that if you take if you take deliberate steps to be gracious to people, and it's sincere. You know, you're not just fluffing up people, but sincerely share what you appreciate about people. That it actually works to rewire the brain and alter your perspective on life. So, oh yeah. Well, well, then we'll we need to. Next time. We need so. to spend the next 120 seconds when this turns off. Me just showing you gratitude, man. Yeah. You know, rewiring. But, uh, yeah. I don't know Thank if, you. I don't, I don't know if you have enough material for 120 seconds. <laughs> but um, thanks, Josh. Yeah, y'all have a great day.